Hello, this is John Lenchner, and welcome to On Not Knowing, a series of conversations about embracing a growth mindset. Today's guest is Mahmoud Nagshina, the Chief Technology Officer for IBM Global Industries. Mahmoud is responsible for addressing industry needs and innovation opportunities on IBM technology across the global markets. Mahmoud was formerly a Vice President at IBM Research, responsible for industry innovation, cloud technologies, and AI applications. About 12 years ago, I was a manager under Mahmoud in the beginning of our foray into services science. A few years later, Mahmoud left research to lead the fledgling IBM-Apple partnership. Mahmoud has made pioneering contributions to the field of telecommunications, for which in 2002 he was named a fellow of the IEEE. He has more than 110 technical publications and 70 patents. He was editor-in-chief of the journal IEEE Wireless Communications and now serves on their advisory board. In addition to his many and very technical accomplishments, Mahmoud is known for his compassion and thoughtfulness. Since Mahmoud's warmth left a lasting impression on me, after years of hearing about his many adventures and how he has so many times fearlessly reinvented himself, I thought he would be a perfect guest on this show. So Mahmoud, I know you grew up in Iran. What was that like? Yeah, I, um, uh, I grew up in a town uh, called Esfahan, very old. Thinking back of the days, walking through the town, it was a museum. The architectures, uh, you know, seven, eight hundred, some of them thousand years old. And of course, when you're born there and you walk around, you don't appreciate it. But later on life and reflecting back, especially these days, it feels like I really grew up in a museum. You did a fair amount of your schooling, though, in, in Europe. Yeah, so um, I went to school in Germany, and uh, I did uh, my undergraduate studies there before I uh, came to U.S. Then at some point, you, I think maybe you did your graduate work at Columbia? Um, I did my PhD at Columbia University, yes. My undergraduate work was in uh, computer engineering. Um, I did my master's in networks and telecoms. And then at Columbia, I did my uh, thesis on mobile internet. Those were the days before all of our phones and everything got connected to the internet. And it was just, it was booming. It was just at the time of everything now get connected to the internet. And uh, so that was the day. Yeah, I think you actually have some pretty seminal papers and channel assignment and topics like that. And I believe you even have a paper with Arvind, our CEO. I have actually multiple papers with Arvind, yes. So tell us just a tiny bit about that work. This is in mid-90s, and at the time, high-speed networking, wireless, personal area networks, all of those really at the time of innovation. And uh, as a part of our agenda, that was one of the topics we worked on. And we built actually the first portable wireless, what you call a PCMCIA card that was an extension uh, into ThinkPads at the time. Uh, first in the industry that you could now take your laptop and go from your office to the conference room and back and keep your connection, right? What a concept. Oh, neat, neat. And then you transitioned right from Columbia to IBM or how did that work? I actually um, went to school while I was working at IBM. So I did my PhDs while I was uh, working and that was uh, really a fantastic experience. On one side, 
maybe I didn't get the full student life experience. Uh, at the same time, I think the fact that I was working in the same field as my PhD and I was at IBM Research and I was surrounded by fantastic researchers, uh, it really helped me shape my thinking and uh, approach it in a different way. And uh, so when were you hired into IBM? 90. 90, I see. And then, uh, so it was, I think around 2008 or so when you were my director. So what did you do from 1990 to 2008? So my first project uh, was actually working on uh, large systems. And the, the goal of that project was to take the vector processing on the mainframes at the time, uh, 3090s, that's what, that was the model, um, and to turn them into supercomputers. So basically you extended through a very high-speed switch the processor into auxiliary processors. And through that, you could really do high number crunching. Uh, so I moved on to optical networks on wireless. We did the first implementation of uh, portable wireless LANs. Then I also worked on Bluetooth. I was one of the five architects at the time. We got together with other companies to put the Bluetooth uh, standard and protocol together. So those were the early days. Then uh, really interested in how do you apply these technologies to solve problems. And uh, so part of that was building the first Internet of Things, connecting devices to the Internet. At the time, it was a really exciting idea to have an IP address on a light bulb. So those were the early days of Internet of Things. And uh, I worked on a project called Linux Watch. That was amazing. Uh, so uh, at the time, the device itself, you could carry it on your wrist. It was a bit big for your wrist, uh, right? It, not that fashionable given the sizes, but you could carry it on your wrist. Of course, it could tell time and uh, you could get notifications on your emails. You could get uh, short messages on it. Uh, and that was uh, the first implementation of a watch that was 1998, 99 timeframe. Oh, wow. Long time before the Apple Watch, that's for sure. Wow. Oh, yes. <laughs> Apple was still working on other stuff those days. It's even before the iPhone, actually, I think. Yes, yes. Okay, then somehow you transitioned into management, then you became a director. So how did that, how did that transition work? Um, I was at the time that we were working on personal area networks and the, the whole Internet of Things space, uh, I was already a manager uh, and we had a team that focused on various aspects of this from technology to solutions integration to building apps for it. I moved to uh, understanding more of how do you apply computing to solve business problems. Those days we call this utilities. And so think about electricity, somewhere else is generated, you just plug into it at your home. That was the first implementation of computing so that you could use it as you go and share the capability. We didn't call it cloud those days, we called it utilities. Mm -hmm. And that was the first implementation of uh, shared compute infrastructure that you could 
through a user interface, get a virtual machine, get cycles, run your app, give it back. The whole lifecycle management of a virtual machine that was uh, distributed among many users. That was when I started actually working with the new division and a new group that IBM at the time created around services. I see. And so you became a director under in services. I remember the transition when we started working with SSO and other organizations and I became a manager under you. Yes, that was that was the transition. Yeah, I remember, though, it was a rocky transition because there were quite a few researchers who thought that it wasn't genuine research, or at least research as we were accustomed to it. And I, I remember it was not easy to be a manager in those days because of that uh, pretty prevalent view. I mean, what was it like for you? Did you feel that countervailing wind at the time from researchers? Oh, of course. There was significant challenge at the time on what would you do as far as a research in a new business like services? It's all about people. It's all about how do you just manage projects. And there isn't any innovation as far as technology goes that we should uh, really bring to bear. We had to change that. We had to demonstrate that we could impact the business. We had to demonstrate that there is real science and innovation. It took us a, uh, a good couple of years before we were really established as a part of the entire research organization. And, uh, you know, those days, we didn't call it cloud, but the whole idea was shared services, was shared computing. It was how do you automate access uh, to an infrastructure? How do you drive economics? How do you automate it? How do you build scripts that are reusable? And so how do you apply technology, analytics specifically at the time, to uh, drive greater automation, uh, John. Sounds familiar, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course. Doing that, I remember it very well. Um, although one of my greatest recollections from back then is not, you know, we were actually trying to take the touch, the person-to-person -to -person touch out of the, the equation. A little bit, it felt a bit dehumanizing, although obviously in the name of greater and greater efficiency. But what I remember most about you is that the great human touch you had as a leader. So that is a good segue into what, the growth mindset theme is for this month. So a growth-minded leader will seek to get to know others well and have that connection be a framework for working together and building something together. A less growth-minded leader will not invest the time to really get to know others and will look at others simply as resources to accomplish a task, which invariably leads to less satisfactory relationships and results. So I think you're a great example of a growth-minded leader, but have you ever made the mistake of tr treating others simply as resources to accomplish your mission? And uh, was that ever your way of working? And if so, how did you change? So I, I would say that the growth mindset, especially in terms of collaboration, has been part of my uh, upbringing, has been part of uh, the way I engage other people. When you think about the business and when you think about an environment like IBM Research where collaboration is essential, uh, I had already, I think, a, a reasonable DNA for that. But certainly I have made the mistake, but certainly I have learned my lessons as far as uh, uh, thinking back on the way we engage on projects. And uh, I would say that most notably shows up when you are under pressure, when you're against a deadline, you need to get something done and you get more into a, uh, a micro 
management and, and you start making those mistakes. Okay, so let me share a heartwarming experience I had with you. One time I brought one of our researchers, she was really leading a project that was quite successful to give a demo for you. And she had, but she had unbelievable stage fright and I was scared she would just freeze and not be able to do anything. But somehow you managed to put her at incredible ease. And I remember afterwards this big smile on her face. And yeah, it was, it was all you're doing. I, uh, it, was, it was really nice. So I, you, didn't, you didn't stay at research that much longer after um, that period. You transitioned to a position at West. It was, I think, leading the IBM Apple partnership. Can you tell, tell us what led you to that and how that went? Uh, one day, I had a bit of a shock, which is I realized I had published more than 100 publications. I had 70-some patents, and uh, I got really interested in, so with all of these technologies, what can you do? How do you go work in rolling this out in the business? How do you make an impact directly in the world and let's go figure out how do we roll out technology and make it usable in businesses for people and the interest of right leaving and figuring out the other side of things, so to say. For the partnership, because I had such a deep background in wireless and mobile and mobile internet, I felt I had expertise that I could contribute and in return, I could learn how the business works. And if you want to figure out how business works, who better to work with than with Apple? So I think you just spent um, a few years with Apple. Then you, you've actually worked with many, many clients now. Uh, I can't remember all of them, but Cisco and others. Yes, I, from, from Apple days, uh, expanded into some of our uh, largest partners like uh, Cisco, uh, SAP, Workday, Salesforce, Samsung, we started there, and uh, those were some of our largest partners at the time. So did you learn anything working with Apple? They obviously have a, a tremendously different culture than we have. Were you successful at bringing these two worlds together somehow? For the mission we had, we were able to bring each something very important to the table. Apple, of course, they, they are. Uh, one of the best in design, one of the best in consumability, and uh, IBM, the best in enterprise, and that combination was very powerful. Harping back to the growth mindset theme, uh, you, you seem to make every effort to connect with people and have that be the basis of building something together. But if you just have so limited amount of time to build uh, connections with people, how do, you, how do you still manage to do it? I mean, you're seeing new teams every couple of years? Is that enough time to develop a, a strong connection with people? There is a trade-off. Um, upfront, yes, you spend a lot more time, but once you get to a point that you have built such strong relationships, then the, the team effort, the outcomes, uh, what, what you at the end of the day do together scales at, at a different way. Uh, it scales in a very different way. So I just like the interaction. Uh, I like to understand other people, where they come from, what's their background, knowing, number one, what people's 
point of view is, what they bring to the table. Second, understanding and being open to new ideas, it helps you understand the topic and the task at hand far better. You can examine it from different directions and that's what other people bring to the table. Second, once you are genuinely interested in having everyone's point of view and bring that into a common goal, you have gone through process of understanding each other, understanding the goal of the project, what the objectives are, how do we go about it, and you have set up a stage where everyone can be really far more successful, bring a lot more to the table, and uh, that really drives amazing outcome in my experience. So is there anything specific that you've been able to bring back from Apple into the IBM culture that perhaps has enriched our culture? I'll give you a, an example. One of the strong points in Apple is the incredible focus on task. They have a saying that for uh, every yes, there are thousand no's. In other words, before you try to do 15 things at a time, before you try to extend a project into so many directions, let's let's get the first thing we started with, right, in, in a great shape. So that resistance to keep adding new things and keep changing and going left and right uh, is uh, something that I really learned as a part of my collaboration, which I try to really instill in the way that I do my work. Um, and uh, stay on target, right? stay on target, as uh, Luke Skywalker says in Star Wars. So the, you have to say no to a thousand uh, suggestions to go in different directions, amongst other things. And it actually sounds a little bit like Jim Whitehurst's the obsession, obsessive focus that they had at Red Hat. So tell us a little about um, what you've been up to lately. You're still working with all these different clients. I have had inside the company, I think I have had 12 different jobs. So it's like changing job 12 times, but inside the company, that's, that's actually quite, quite unique. So um, my, uh, my current job is in the global markets, CTO for global industries. And my role is to put the industry value proposition and IBM's industry differentiation in the context of our technology, in the context of hybrid cloud and AI technologies like cloud that is by design more open. How do you combine that with the capabilities you bring to the table? And uh, how do you address that with AI? How do you address that with our own hybrid cloud design so that it fits their needs and they can scale their business around it? That's a big differentiated capability. Now you can go to other industries and kind of think about the specifics of that industry and turn that into how do we solve that with hybrid cloud, our AI, and our services wrapped around it, uh, this becomes quickly very differentiated. Um, so you go to some of our competitors, they don't have that industry depth, they don't have that deep understanding of enterprises. So you build around that and you show up in front of your clients 
understanding their business, understanding their industries, understanding some of their peers in that industry, how they go about addressing their own opportunities and challenges. And then you translate into the platforms we offer them and how we can be a partner for their business. Uh, that makes a big difference and uh, it's a very exciting space. So is there, there must be still an opportunity to connect with people personally, which I find one of your strongest suits. In addition to selling our depth and uh, our technological prowess, um, yeah, I think your personal differentiator is your amazing ability to connect with people. It always starts with that, John, right? That's the first step. So, Very interesting, Mahmoud. So uh, that wraps up today's episode of I'm Not Knowing. I've learned a lot, Mahmoud, so I want to give you a big thanks. Thank you, John. It's really great to be with you. And a big thanks to our producer, Andy Aaron, and to our creative consultant, Mark Podlasek. And I'm John Lenchner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>